0: Legacy of faith. And I want to talk to you about the legacy of faith by way of two simple points, which we'll get to momentarily. Let me introduce those points by saying this. There are a variety of things that could be considered when we discuss the topic of legacy. By definition, a legacy could be something financial in that a legacy is passed down or finances are passed down from one generation to another, bequeathed from one to another. It could also be something like property, maybe homes or buildings of a certain organization, or it could be something more, and that's what I want to discuss today. Something that's metaphysical, spiritual, or eternal. This is the legacy that I'd like to discuss with you today. And not only that legacy, but also how we see that kind of legacy unfold in the material world. Because although that legacy is not material, it is of such an important aspect that we should see its effects in the material world. This is part of what I believe we're facing today. There's an old African proverb that says if we do not initiate the boys, they will burn down the village just to feel the warmth. It's happening in our churches. The younger generations are coming up within the churches without any respect for the traditions that their forefathers have established and worked incredibly hard to earn and to build. Outside of the church, it's happening in our country when we see movements of people Steal without, dis- without regard for the rule of law, to burn down cities just so that the news can say, well, they're upset. The reality of the matter is psychology has crept into our culture. It has rid us of the obligation and responsibility of discipline and consequences. Sociologists have explained, re-explained, and explained again why there are not young people and adults, but rather young people and adolescents, to a period, the end of which we know not, and then eventually adulthood. You know, when you're 35, on your eighth year of college, and your seventh job, the Word of God does not present the legacy that is handed down to us by our forefathers like that. The legacy that is handed down to us in the Word of God from our forefathers to us comes with an expectation, comes with a responsibility. And in different cultures, we see this happen in a variety of ways. But what really does the culture in the United States of America have when we ask the question of adulthood? Where is the rite of passage in America? Where is the rite of passage in the Christian church? Well, sometimes those two contexts are so closely related, linked, or intertwined, that it's hard to distinguish between the rites of passage in the church and the rites of passage in the country to such an extent that parents will bring their kids to the church and the youth director or some Sunday school teacher or the pastor will drill the young person down with some rules or expectations of behavior, scripture memorization, or Bible knowledge, and the parent, 90% of the time of the mother, will say, don't be so hard on my child. And she can do that because she's protecting her child from her absent, lackey husband. The reality of the matter is we're deficient in legacy. Say amen. We're deficient in legacy. There's a dearth of people passing down anything of value to their children. There's a dearth of people passing down lessons, finances, properties, but of course, most importantly, eternal truths. I want to talk to you today, by way of Deuteronomy 12, around two simple points, the importance of the legacy and the delicateness of the legacy. The importance and the delicateness of the legacies. So, looking back at Deuteronomy chapter 12, if you'll focus there for me again, our first point is the importance of legacy. This is an important point for us, not to be redundant, significant. There, let me change that. This is a significant point for us, not only first and foremost as Christians, but as I've mentioned, as Americans. Because I sincerely believe, and I'm not getting into a political argument with you, but prophets speak to the country at large, so just give me a little bit of latitude here this morning. I believe wholeheartedly, with a clear mind and a fixed conscience, that the country, more often than not, will go the direction of God's church. And the reason the country is so wobbly morally and so absent ethically is because the Christians have sold out. They've given way in name of tolerance, in name of of love, worldly love, secular love, not biblical love. And as a result, we we have seen the pendulum swing farther one way or another than it ought to I want to share with you a couple of points under this idea of the importance of legacy. First of all, I want to share with you this. A legacy requires a distinct belief system. A legacy requires a distinct belief system. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days. How many days? All the days that you live on the earth friends we are not entitled we are not permitted we are not allowed to search for statutes and rules that appease us or placate us in any sense or form or fashion we are not allowed to find something that interests our conscience or fits well with our circumstances, we are to only and ever adhere to the statutes and rules that are found in this book. If the statutes and rules that are found in this book are contrary to the world, it is right and the world is wrong. If our hearts tell us with all of the emotion and pathos that we could muster as human beings something different than the word of God, then we're wrong. And the word of God is right. When it comes to legacies, when it comes to the importance of legacies, this is first and foremost, a legacy requires a distinct belief system. And what belief system is distinct It is the word of God. We have people in the world who are trying to be different in a myriad of ways. And all of them are the same as they've ever been. The piercings, the hair, the dress, big deal. Big deal. We've all been there and done that. You know what's different? Holiness. John says in 1 John 2, verse 15... Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, because everything that is in the world, the love of life, the love of the lust of life, the pride and possessions are of the world and not of the Father. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We have to pass down a distinct belief system to our children and to the next generation and the generation after that if... Conditional clause, biggest word in the Bible, if if we would be in the will of God. Secondly, a legacy requires not only a distinct belief system, but a legacy requires a distinct worship system. You see, we don't worship however we want, whoever we want, however we want, or whenever we want. We are given guidelines by which... We practice worship. Look at the text again, if you would. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. Verse 3 says, You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram, which was, a, which was like a totem pole. It was, a, it was an idol. You shall, you shall burn it with fire. Chop it down. Their gods, destroy their name out of this place. Verse 4, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. You shall not worship the Lord your God, which way? That way. Church, we need to talk for a moment. On this issue, we worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship on the Lord's day, because in the New Testament, we see the New Testament church worship on the Lord's day. We worship in the mode that we do because we see these principles passed down to us from the apostles and the prophets to people who are given authority over local church expressions like ours to the pastor. And because this is the case, these are the guidelines by which we exercise our Christianity. No, it is not okay that people do Christianity however, whenever they want no it is not given to anyone from the bible to do spirituality however they want we don't affirm or accept this ideology which says oh i'm a christian but i don't go to church that's not biblical you can't be a christian that doesn't go to church those two things do not coincide They are in complete antithesis to one another. If you are a Christian, you go to church. This is how it works. Now, if you're homebound, you're elderly, you're sick, you're at home, you worship online, of course that's wonderful. But I've said it before and I'll say it again the internet is a terrible place to go to church. But it's a wonderful privilege to have when you can't get to church but you would never choose the appendage over the limb. Amen? God's word says, when you go into that land and you dispossess your enemies, and you take the land that I have given to you to inherit, all their stuff that they use for worship, burn it. Chop it up into pieces, because the way they worshiped will not be the way that you worship. I want to talk to you a few minutes about what constitutes a group of people coming together and worshiping Jesus Christ. Of course, you can worship God anywhere. But that isn't what Christian worship is by definition. Christian worship happens when a group of Christ-following, spirit baptized, Bible-believing people come together and celebrate who God is and what Jesus has done. Let me give it to you again. Christian worship happens when a group of Christ-following, spirit-baptized, Bible-believing people come together to worship Yes, what that means is if a church shines rainbow colors outside and the woman pastor inside who's wearing a rainbow outfit and goes by father is leading the so-called church, that's not biblical. That's antichrist. That's satanic. We don't do that here and we don't celebrate it. We don't tolerate it. It will be judged by God. And it is not an issue of play nice. We're not playing nice. We're destroying the ashram. We're cutting into pieces the so-called alternative ways of worshiping God. We do it the Bible's way, and we do it no other way. So when Christ-following, spirit-baptized, Bible-believing people come together to celebrate who God is and what Jesus Christ has done for them, this is what it looks like. Number one, there is preaching. Not motivation, preaching. Not pep talks preaching, not anecdotes, preaching. There are a lot of people who are talking in the window of time that we call worship on Sunday morning who are not preaching. Now, I give you my aspect, my comment, my opinion, my thoughts, but at the end of the day, we begin and finish with the Word of God opening line by line Because at the end of the day, I'm not more important than you, and you're not more important than me. We are both spirit-baptized, Bible-believing people, and I've been entrusted by God through you to lead with authority our church in a direction that brings our Savior glory. And we will not accomplish that with my opinion. We will only do that with the Word of God. Preaching happens the way that it does. And the pulpit is at the center of the church for the reason that the Bible is always center. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2 says, This is the one to whom I shall look, says the Lord. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. Humble and contrite and trembles at my word." But preaching isn't the only aspect that constitutes a Christian gathering for worship. Another aspect that constitutes or comprises a Christian gathering for worship is sacraments. As Protestants, we celebrate two sacraments because we believe that those two sacraments are the sacraments that were taught and practiced in the New Testament. They are baptism, some of you were baptized a few weeks ago. Congratulations, baptism, which happens once, and the Lord's Supper, which happens regularly. Interestingly enough, the Bible does not tell us how often to practice the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, as often as you do it, do it with reverence. So we don't know how often they do it. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it once or twice a year, maybe Easter and Christmas. I feel like that would be too seldom. We do it once a month. And when we do it, we don't stick it on the back of the service. It's not a tag on. We put it right in the middle because if it were not for the blood and body of Jesus, there would be no Christian gathering. Now, it's not a sin if you do it at the end or the beginning or whatever. But for me, my heart, my conscience, I feel like putting the Lord's Supper in the middle of the service helps us focus for a few moments. And that's why I always share a little sermonette over the Lord's Supper because I don't want people to come here, flip the thing back, and leave without having thought about the blood and body of our Savior. Two sacraments. If you are a Christian, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you haven't been baptized, we can remedy that. need to be baptized not as an infant that's called pedo baptism but as a believer that's called credo baptism I confess that Jesus is my savior then you get baptized that's the model we see that's the model we follow another aspect that constitutes Christian worship when Christian people get together is music From the earliest parts of the Bible to the latter parts of the Bible, the Revelation, we see singing. In Exodus chapter 15, it says that Miriam, Moses' sister, who is called a prophetess, comes together with God's people with singing. And they sing a song that begins like this Who is a Lord like our God? In the book of Psalms, let everything that has breath, help me, praise the Lord. In the book of Revelation, John says as he's writing the Revelation, the seraphim and the cherubim come together and they sing, holy, holy, holy is he who is worthy to open the seal of the scrolls. He is the Lamb of God. Singing happens in heaven constantly. God loves singing. And therefore, we should sing. We should sing. And we have singers who help us sing, but they're not singing for you. If you don't sing, you are refusing to give worship to the God who deserves it. Start singing and stop being disobedient. It's like being married to a spouse that says, don't you love me? You know that I love you. Tell me that you love me. You know that I love you. That doesn't go well. The lady that lives in my house, that doesn't go well with her either. C.S. Lewis said, a joy is not complete until it is celebrated. You know, you know, when you get home from Publix and you have that slice of key lime pie? And you go, man! That was so good. You can't, right? Oh, you have, you have, you have custom, custom expectations. Yeah, maybe that would be a bad illustration. Tom is very particular about his key lime pie. But you have a slice of bread. you go, man, that was so good, right? It's not done until you tell somebody. Have you seen this movie? It's such a good movie. Have you read this book? It's such a good book. A celebration and enjoyment is not done until it's talked about. When we get together, we say, holy forever. Holy forever. And we don't do it once or twice because he's not once or twice holy. He's holy Forever. And, 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 and church, when we come together, if we sit idly by, quietly, restrictive, refusing, then we're denying our Savior his due worship. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says that when the church comes together, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, that they should sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs. Now I want to make a quick note on this because some people, some of you, and this is no disrespect, but you started worshiping Jesus before electricity. And now that there's electricity, you're like, can I worship Jesus? When was this song written? Was this song written in 1854? Because before 1854 is what counts. After, I can't. Maybe 1856? No, I'm just kidding. But you understand what I'm saying? I want to challenge you Older people, I want to challenge you for a moment. Lyrics make songs Christian. The remotest tribes in the unheard of parts of the world who are banging a drum to a beat and singing to Jesus are making Christian music. Now you might say, ah, the genre is not my favorite. Okay, that's okay. I-, I can receive that. I think this is why Paul says, Psalms hymns, spiritual songs. I think say there's some latitude here, guys. It doesn't have to be one kind of thing, but lyrically are we bringing praise to the Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Now, for you younger people, get over yourself. Please God, get over yourself. Some of you come in here and you think that the church started last weekend. The church is old. And listen, receive this, young people. The church is sacred. It was here long before you. Respect her. Love her. Learn some of the old songs. I know musically sometimes they're a little corny or cheesy, but lyrically they're rich. Rich with truths of God and rich of truths of the church. And, and, and not all old songs are, are good because they're old. And not all new songs are good because they're new. Some of the new stuff is horrible. Some of the old stuff is horrible. Some of the old stuff is amazing. Amen. And some of the new stuff is amazing. Here's my question for you Are you so rigid in what you have decided the statutes and rules of the Lord are that you won't sing that song? Give God his due worship, give God his praise preaching, sacraments, music. All of this happens when we come together, God's people, spirit-baptized, Bible-believing, lifting up worship to God because of who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. He says this, quote, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. Friends, this means that there shouldn't be a moment of compromise or negotiation when it comes to our worship. Now, we have friends at home who have been compromised, in my opinion, by the pandemic. And they did church, and now they're not doing church anymore. They're watching somebody's church in Colorado or North Carolina or something. And and some people who I know, they are baptizing people in their pool, and, and they're not any sort of authority, no church has laid hands on him. No church has authorized them biblically in accordance with 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus to say, you will be the anointed of God to lead our church. They're just baptizing people in the pool. So here's my question. To whom are they accountable? If they decide to have an affair with somebody in their little cultic following in their house on Sunday morning, who calls them on the carpet? What church discipline can be exercised in an environment that has been set up preferentially? That's not a biblical church. A biblical church is set up the way that it is so that you're safe from me and I'm safe from you. So that we worship God mutually together, benefiting from each other in a way that does not reflect any similarity to the ashram, the way the world would do it. I'm grateful for my church. I'm grateful for my church because we wrestled during the pandemic. We wrestled during that difficult time, all of us. And when we came out of that time and we started worshiping in, We made this vow in front of everyone that Sunday. We will never again stop meeting because God is more important than the lies that are shed for the convenience of a dot, dot, dot. Jesus will always come first. And we can be polite, but we will do it his way. We can be polite, but we can still operate with resolve, And conviction and I never want to lead a Bible study online anyway so that's that okay (laughs) church the importance of the legacy before we get to the delicate of the legacy I, I don't delicateness of the legacy I don't want you to miss the importance of the legacy it isn't something made up or manufactured It's not contrived or conceived. It is passed down to us by God through his prophets. We receive it, and we pass it down ourselves. And we do not compromise what we have received. The delicateness of the legacy. Let's look at that. The delicateness of the legacy. Look, if you would, please. at verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go into to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in the land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? That I may also do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God In that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire for their gods. Church, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about the principles on which we stand and how they make us different. They distinguish us from everyone else. The legacy that the world is handing down to their kids is not the same legacy that I expect you to hand down to yours. If we're going to have a positive legacy, a legacy that progresses, a legacy that prevails, then we're going to have to own it. We're going to have to sustain it. And then we're going to have to pass it down in such a way that we ensure its survival from our time to the time of our grandchildren. Did you get that? Some of you are panicking about next Sunday. You should be thinking about your grandchildren. Are you living your life with such a focus on point number one, the importance of the legacy, that point number two, the delicateness of the legacy is present by default. Are you so convicted and convinced of the importance that you live your life with an awareness of the delicateness of this legacy? Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I'm going to pause there and give you 10 seconds to think about that, gentlemen. If you were to leave here today and be killed in a car accident, what have you left your children? What legacy would they receive in the time that God has entrusted them to you. This thought is exemplified. If you back up from verse 29 to 28, and you look at verse 28, it's exemplified in these words, you can read it with your eyes. He says, "Be careful, be what? Be careful to obey all these words. How many? All these words that i command you listen to this church that it may go well with you and your children thank you after you for how long for oh this is my prayer man this is my prayer if god tarry, if jesus doesn't come immediately in 400 years people go yeah you remember myra I want Satan to be terrified of my family. I want Satan to know that this legacy will not be broken. I want Satan to know that I'm going to fight sin as strongly and successfully as I can in the power that God gives me by his spirit because of my great-grandchildren. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Get that that operative phrase. That it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. You know, Miami is what? Top five expensive city to live in in the country. Everybody says, I'll show you my bank account. That's true. That's that's a matter matter of fact. Yeah, I mean, places this big, $1,700. Gas is so expensive. Car insurance, house insurance. Oh, my gosh. You can, in Miami, price yourself right out of a livelihood. But that's not the inheritance I'm talking about. The legacy and inheritance that I'm talking about is different from that. Here are a couple of things worth considering. First, the legacy is delicate, so get to know it. The legacy is delicate, so get to know it. The legacy I'm talking about, of course, is the legacy of faith. What God has given to us to pass down. How much you make in a year is your business. Whether you decide to live in an apartment, a condo, an efficiency, or a house, that's your business. Whether you decide to put that pool in your backyard or not, your business. What car you drive, it's your business. What I'm talking about is something more spiritual, more eternal. Jude, verses 3 and 4, Jude, verses 3 and 4 say this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for their condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only maker and Lord, Jesus Christ. you got to get to know the faith once for all delivered because one day your child is going to come home from school and go, Dad, Mom, yeah, what's up? Let me ask you a question about Darwin because my teacher was saying, And what are you going to say? Are you going to send them to me? You can send them to me. I'm more than happy, but I'm not their father. The gospel that we celebrate here must be the same gospel that is present in your home. And there are some things that I can do as a pastor that I will never be as successful at as you will be as their parent. When it comes to the legacy you're handing down, you have to do as a parent some things that I cannot successfully do as a pastor. Do you know the faith once for all delivered? The basics, the main tenets of what we believe salvation through Jesus alone yes, God created and we don't believe Charles Darwin. By the way, do you know that Charles Darwin was a Christian who went to a liberal church? Very sad life, by the way, very sad life. They're going to encounter that and a hundred other things, especially during months like this, in a public environment where they are told whatever it is that they want to hear and more. But we don't go by whatever we want to hear and more. We go by the faith once for all delivered. We go by the statutes and the rules. And that's intolerable in the eyes of some, and that's great. Because Jesus said, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. If you don't have some people that have issue with you, you probably have issue. Because the reality of the matter is, is if we are with Jesus, we've got to be against something. Since the legacy is delicate, get to know it. And secondly, since the legacy is delicate, don't wait to share it. Don't wait to share it. If we wait until our young people are old we would have waited too long. If we wait until our unmarried people are cohabitating, we have waited too long. If we've waited to talk about the biblical principles of parenthood before married people have children and try to figure out, how do I do this again? what does God want me to do? Then we've waited too long. The legacy is delicate, so we've got to share it. Look at the last couple of verses in this section. Verse 31, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, because every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods friends, if you have your ears plugged and your eyes shut, you may have missed it. But our country hates children. Our country hates children. They hate your children. Nothing has changed. Nothing. Ecclesiastes nine says, there is nothing new under the sun, and of this issue, nothing could be more true. The enemy hates children. And legacies are broken when children are sacrificed. We see here that the recognition of what was taking place is they were giving up their children to gods. And, 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 and we're doing that today. The gods of what? The gods of career? Career? The gods of advancement, the gods of college, because I'm a college professor, it's not that special. Some of you have no business in college. You need to go get some sort of certification and some technical degree and go to work. Make your $75 an hour. Do not get in debt $200,000. Go get certified in something, go get licensed in something, and get a job in six months. Some of you need to get your butt in college and get to work. Everyone is different. No two people are the same. But if you go to college, you need to know something. Unless you're going to a private college that is baptized in this idea of thinking, a Christian Bible-believing college, what you're going to hear is that anything and everything is permissible. And if you cohabitate and have all the sex you want when a healthy man and a healthy woman have sex, pregnancy results, by the way. I know that this has been completely forgotten. But when a healthy man and a healthy woman have sex, pregnancy is the result. It used to be called with child. Now we've made it a condition. It's, oh, she's pregnant. It's like she has the flu. And contrary to what everyone in the government says, it is the father's business. They want to force everybody into their home and shoot them with a vaccine. You don't have a choice. But then when it comes to abortion, it's my body. Don't tell me what to do. Oh, you don't get to operate with the double standards. The standard is this. You can choose everything you want, but you also have to live with the consequences of those choices. I'm not into these people, man, making cakes for their abortion and everything else, celebrating it like it's a birthday, but it's not. It's an abortion. It's satanic. It's evil this country hates children. The amount of pedophilia, the amount of abuse, the amount of neglect. If you have any proximity whatsoever, like we do as administrators, to things like DCF, you realize that our children are without because their parents at 35 are getting Botox and plastic and everything else because they want to be 15 forever instead of doing their job because the kids didn't ask for this. The kids are the result of a perfectly healthy male and a perfectly healthy female. And the kid comes along and goes, I'm here, take care of me. No, I got to go out. No, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep in. What's different? God says, you see how they treat their kids? Yeah, that's not how it's going to happen in my house. My people will love children. My people will grow children. My people will inform children. My people will challenge children, encourage children, and they will do this. Say amen if you're listening. Because that is the legacy. That is the legacy. Not that we grow people that don't rob banks. Not that we grow people who don't murder people in the street. And in our country, that's nothing. That means nothing anymore. People walking in and out of the store. Now now they've locked everything up in half of these stores. They're going in with a blowtorch blow-torching the cabinets until the plastic mill so that they can take the Tom Ford perfume or whatever they want. There's no regard for the rule of law. There's no regard for life. So why should we be impressed by somebody who doesn't kill, maim, or steal? We shouldn't be. God is calling us to a higher standard of legacy. I'm calling you to a higher standard of legacy. To be a part of our fellowship, that's what it means. I will not compromise the standards of my God for the acceptance of America. I will not compromise the standards of my God for the acceptance of a global ideology. I will support, I will be involved, I will vote, but I will do so according to the principles of the legacy that has been handed down to me from my fathers that originated in the word of God. Anything short of that is a compromise. A compromise. The natural state of man is a degenerative state. We don't stay the same, and we don't incline. We decline until we are born again. If you think it's going to get better, think again. It's going to get worse until the sound of the trump, the twinkling of the eye, and we see the Lord coming in the clouds with glory. When he snatches up his people, and we are at his side forevermore, until then, it's going to get nasty. Are you ready? If you aren't handing down the legacy, you're not. If your kids don't know the difference between Buddha and Jesus, you're not. If your kids can't find the book of Psalms in the Bible, you're not ready. To close, let me say this. Some of you are in the situation that you're in because you've never had a legacy passed down to you. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you didn't have a father who loved God or a mother who loved God who brought you up in a way that said, sweetheart, this is what honors God and this is what dishonors God. That's why we do this and we don't do that. I'm sorry. From my heart if you never received a legacy from your parents like that. Can you receive that from me? Okay, now put it in the grave, done. All that matters is this moment forward. We're not sulking, we're not moping, we're not complaining. We are deciding, resolving to honor God with our hearts and minds, and if we did not receive a legacy by God, We will give one to our children. It might not have come to us, church, but it's going to come from us. Amen? Amen? It might not have come to us, but it will come from us. Because by God's strength, we're going to do what wasn't done for us, for the people who are coming after us. That's what matters. You don't need multiple sessions of this and that and the other thing. You don't need more rest time. You need work. You need resolution. You need determination to read the word of God and do it. That's what it says do it, and the legacy will be established.